Women have been playing football for more than 150 years, and it's always been political. Some have been celebrated, but others have been ridiculed, criticized, and forgotten. This is the Forgotten 11, the hidden history of women's football. I'm not going to the White House. No. You know, there was a lot of critics talking about us, but we're back, so stop in that one. <laughs> Give me the effing ball. Playing like a girl means you're a badass. Welcome to the Forgotten 11. My name's Chris, and today we have a very special episode. So, who's the best in the world? Is it Barcelona with Messi? Is it Alex Ferguson's Manchester United? What if it was a woman? What if the best team ever to play was a women's team? Today on the show, I'm joined uh, by Ruth Harker of the United States Women's National Team and Gail Nushin, author of In a League of Their Own, the uh, history of the Dick Cares Ladies FC. Hi, my name's Gail Newsham. I'm author of the book In a League of Their Own, which charts the history of the Dick Kerr ladies from 1917 to 1965. I'm Ruth Harker. Uh, I was a member of the first U.S. women's soccer team uh, in 1985, and I'm here because I'm very interested in a history that I didn't know anything about. All right. So uh, we were talking just a second ago, uh, Gail. You, you said you were working on a tournament uh, for women's soccer um, yeah. in, in 1992, and that's how you discovered this wonderful team, the Dick Cares Ladies FC? Well, I, I was always aware that there was a women's team in Preston because I grew up, as I said, near the factory, and I used to play football with the lads myself in the street or on the park because that's all that you could do in those days. And I would hear people say when they saw me as the only girl in this um, you know, with the lads playing, oh, she's good, she should be playing for the Dick Kerr ladies. And everybody sort of knew knew who they were, you know, they were re reputed as a good team, but nobody knew a great deal about them. And so, yeah, I was organising an international women's football tournament that we established in 1986. Um, and um, in 1992, uh, as part of the Preston Guild celebrations, that's a, a it's a medieval, it goes back to medieval times, and it's a festival that occurs only once every 20 years. And I thought it would be uh, a good time to try to stage a reunion of this team because um, by all things being equal, it would probably be the last time that they would have to be at a Preston Guild. Um, and that's where it started for me, you know, meeting these el uh, elderly ladies, old older women who played football back in the day and um, just fell in love with them, saw a picture of them, um, couldn't believe how many people were watching them. Nobody ever came to watch us. And, and I was just, just captivated, you know, by, by the women and, and the story. Wow. So, uh, I know you uh, have this book, which I know it's been republished a couple of times, In a League of Their Own. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found on the internet, I, I have not had a chance to read the book, but I've done as much research on the internet as I can find. Mm -hmm. uh, the Dick Care ladies set so many records. That's right. Yeah, yeah they did. They were amazing. Yeah, I mean, the, the match, uh, what was it, 19, Boxing Day 1921? Well, 1920 it was. 
1920. Uh, the, the stadium, uh, Goodison Park, 53,000 people. It was sold out, plus 10 to 14,000 people who couldn't get a ticket. It was just... That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and uh, for, for a club team, that record was only beaten this year in, in Spain. Yeah, but you know that the match in Spain, they, they gave tickets away. Um, well, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, so to, to me, the record still stands because, um, you know, people weren't given free tickets to go to watch the Dick Kerr ladies. They, they all sure. paid to get in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's bad about that whole equation is that the Dick Kerr uh, ladies weren't even, aren't even talked about in terms of that record. So yeah. it's that record that's standing when that's not the true record. Yeah, you know the Dick Kerr ladies. That was the record people ought to be talking about in a in yeah. a time and a place that uh, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't supported. It wasn't funded. It wasn't any of those things. Yeah. Well, and and another thing, um, I, and I've I've seen a couple of articles talking about the Dick Kerr ladies, where they can they're comparing the Dick Kerr ladies and Gail. I don't know if you're familiar with the Harlem Globetrotters, the basketball team. Yeah, vaguely. Yeah, so that's possibly a similar type of idea in terms of it's a, a, a basketball team that's been around forever. But mm -hmm. for, uh, the Harlem Globetrotters started out as a competitive team, but then quickly became just entertainment. Yeah. Uh, which is fun by itself, but it's not, you're not watching competitive matches. And the mm -hmm. Dick Care ladies, they always played competitive matches. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, it was never just, oh, we're girls playing football. Like, come watch for the novelty or whatever. They, they were competitive, serious matches. Yes, they were. But, but the men that were looking at that had to put it as entertainment or it would have been, um, you know, it would have been a conflict. Well, it, I think at first you're right, um, the, the novelty of it in, in, say, the teens. But uh, with the, the Munichonets Cup and, and those Munichonets teams, uh, they – there was no men's football at the time, and people really did attend those matches as, okay, it's a little bit weird at first, but it's just as good a game. And, you know, I think, it, and Gail, correct me if, if you think I'm wrong, uh, part of the reason the FA banned the women was they were becoming more popular than the men, some of the teams. Yeah, that's what the ladies thought. I mean, I actually met some of the players that played before the ban, you know, when I first started this journey, and that's what they said, that they felt that the... The men were jealous because they were getting bigger crowds. But when, when I was doing my research, you know, when I first started in the early 90s, um, I, I met some elderly gentlemen that had been to watch them play in the 20s. And there was a match played um, at Preston North End at night, um, a searchlight. It, you can actually see it on um, uh, Pathé, British Pathé, yeah. there's footage of the game. And, I, and, you know, I talked to people who went to the, that match and others and, and they remembered people's names. And I said, why did you go to watch the Dick Curl ladies? And their answer was, we wanted to see a good game of football. Right. There was no gender thing. There was no, oh, we wanted to see women in shorts. It was, they went to see a good game of football. Right. And that says it all for me. And that's the guys that watched the matches in the 20s. And, and the guy that watched the, uh, the match by Searchlight, he even remembered the captain's name after all those years. You know, and he said to me, uh, Alice Kell was the player most outstanding. Yeah, yeah. Now, just a quick aside about that match. I'm not sure, but was that the first night match played under floodlight? 
Well, it wasn't floodlights. It was military searchlights, actually. Searchlight. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I, I saw one reference. Uh, the uh, guy who was in charge of, who had the, the military searchlights, uh, was a young Winston Churchill. Yes, he, he granted permission for the use of the lights to be used uh, at Preston North End, and they were at either end of the stadium. Right. Uh, yeah, it was quite, as I say, it's quite a spectacle. If, if you look on, on Pathé News, you know, you'll see it on there. Yeah, I, I've seen it. It's, it's partly a little weird because of how the film uh, does with, with the dark and the light, but it, it's interesting that they, had, they played with, like you said, searchlights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's quite amazing. Mm. You know, what about, what about training for these ladies? You, know, you think about the level of play and the amount of fan participation uh, in some of those matches, and particularly the one in 1920 that that caused the ban, right? Was, um, well, I think that was the turning point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so t tell us about the 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 training of those of those ladies and how they went about that. Well, in the early years, like in, from 1917 when they were first formed, and um, up until probably into the early 20s, they they were they used to do the training at Preston North End. When they first started, the league program was suspended. There was no football going ahead, so they played most of the home games at, at Preston. Um, and some of the guys who played for Preston North End actually worked at the Dick Kerr factory, so they would help, you know, with the training. And um, they, they used to do all, 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 you know, all manner of things that you you would imagine that you know people would do to keep fit to play football. Um, and they, uh, after that, they had their own pitch to play on. Um, so, so they would do the training up there. And there's, there's again, there's footage of that on uh, on the Pathé news footage. So you can see, you know, the kind of things that they were doing. They were even boxing. <laughs> yeah, all sorts of wonderful <laughs> things. <laughs> it's so fantastic. Yeah, they, they so, traveled to America. I don't know if you're aware of that, uh, Ruth. They, they traveled to America on tour in 1922. Yeah, no, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, um, uh, so they. Uh, they first tried to go to England, I'm sorry, to uh, Canada, and yeah. Ca Canadian Football Association, which I think was called Dominion FA, yeah, said, the yeah. Yeah, they said, oh, you can't play here. Mm -hmm. uh, so they went to uh, the East Coast mostly uh, yeah. and played nine games. But one thing uh, that they didn't know until they got there, they were playing nine games against men's teams. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, I, I found a quote somewhere. I'm just going to paraphrase it. <clears throat> uh, it was one of the players on the men's team uh, said, we had a heck of a time beating them. We were national champions, and mm -hmm. we could barely hang on. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they, they played uh, nine games, I think. Uh, they won three, they drew three, and they lost three. That's right. But that's against the best nine teams America had to offer. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, they were, so, they were, they were you know... Uh, a great bunch of women, and uh, it just shows, you know, you know what what they could do. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about um, when when they banned it, and um, the little discourse between uh, the rugby and the footballers, and how that really helped the women's game um, through that era? Well, yeah. After the ban, uh, rugby grounds opened the doors for them to play on, so they still had, you know, some stadiums to play on to get people. You know, to get crowds in, um, but they would they would play anywhere. They played on on grounds that the the, F, the FA had no jurisdiction over. You know, like council pitches, you know, local authorities and 
things like or on the park they would just play anywhere and mm. they set up a, a rope maybe around the outside of the pitch to stop people coming on um and they, they just they just played anywhere they could so uh gail i i i'm i mentioned uh lily parr but i also yeah. mentioned there's so many players um and i'm sure you know a lot more about each of them i mean lily parr so far is my favorite but um, these these ladies, uh, some of them have great stories. Please feel free to, to share any particular one. Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, you see, Lily Parr. Uh, there was a fictional account of the Curl Ladies written, and that lady had a better publisher than I did. Uh, <laughs> so, so that's why um, that nobody really talks about the other players because they've only sort of like hijacked that part of the story. Because I think she came from St. Helens, the lady that wrote this other book, as, as did Lily Parr. And so people want to make out of it what they will. Lily Parr was a great player, of course she was. Um, but when she first came to the team, she was only a kid. You know, she was only 14. Yeah. And these other players were, you know, five, six, seven years older than her. So she had to, you know, find a way. You need to read the new copy of my book, the special centenary edition, <laughs> because yeah, it's got yeah. all these stories in. But yeah, uh, Lily, so Lily was on, then when she first came to the team, she played at left fullback. Um, so she wasn't scoring, you know, many goals to start with. But in 1921, they moved her onto the left wing. Um, and on her, in her first game playing on the left wing, she scored a hat trick. But at the end of that year, um, they played 67 games of football all that year. And come the end of the year, the leading goal scorer of the team was Florrie Redford, who was the centre forward. And she scored 170 goals that year. Yeah. Wow. And, and Lily Potter was a, a dim and distant second with, a, I think it was 106 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, Florrie Redford <coughs> was a great player. Yeah. forward, attractive. She could kick with either foot. She was a fantastic player. Alice Kell was the first ever captain. And mm -hmm. she, she was a fabulous figurehead for the team. She was a great defender. Everybody raved about her. So in, probably if I say to you, in the, in the mould of Bobby Moore, you, won't, you won't, probably won't know who I'm talking about. I, I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so so she, she was a great, great player. And there's, there's lots of them. Um, Jesse Wormsley, uh, Jenny Harris. You know, there's just so many. Uh, yeah. I could go on all day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish we had time. Uh, yeah. I, I was... Uh, previous episode of my podcast uh, I was a little working into covering the Dick Care Ladies team uh, and I started covering a team called Stoke United uh, who Stoke United in 1923 after the Dick Care Ladies went on a world tour they're like hey we want to do this too they ended up they only went to Spain to play a couple of matches but uh, Flory Redford uh, had I think it was 1922 or 23, she'd gone to play for a French team called Femina. Yeah. And when Stoke played a, a team of French women, uh, I don't know if they had a formal team or they were composed of other members of other teams, but Flory Redford, um, because she'd been playing in, in Paris, uh, the French women, uh, before the match with the Stoke United in Barcelona, uh, the French woman kind of freaked out, like, no, you can't play her. No, no, she's not a member of Stoke. And they were basically just like, no, we're, we're going to get creamed if she plays. <laughs> yeah. uh, so she, she ended up playing one match and, and not the other uh, with Stoke. Uh, in that match, she, she scored a hat trick. Uh, yeah. 
pretty much by herself. And they, because of that, they didn't. The French women didn't want her to play in the second match, so she, she didn't. But apparently, that like, part of uh, her playing for Stoke was to get her back to England to play for Dick Cares Ladies uh, against Stoke in 1923. It, it, there's so much in that story. Like she's like one of the first women to travel internationally to play for different teams. And I, I was wondering if you knew any more about that story. I've never heard that story before. And I knew after the ban, I, I still have um, newspaper articles, you know, from the time where she was still playing for the team around about 1927. The, after the ban, the things are a bit sketchy and I'm going to, I'm going to start looking into that a bit more and see what else I can find out. So I don't really know a great deal about, you know, the early twenties. Um, I, I when I did all my research, I met a lady called Joan Worley, who played just before the Second World War, and she kept a meticulous record from 1937. So from you know m my, my records, you know through that period are a bit sketchy, but from 1937 right through to the end, I have you know as much information as is probably humanly possible to, <laughs> to document. Mm. All right, so uh, I guess since well. What I know about 1937 for the Dick Care Ladies is uh, they played a match for uh, International Champions of the World or something to that uh, effect. Yeah, the Championship of the World match in uh, in 1937. So, yeah. so who do who did they play? Uh, a team from Scotland. They, this this team from Edinburgh in Scotland. They, they'd seen the note paper that the Dick Care Ladies had on which that they claimed that they were world champions, and um, they were. They were a bit miffed about this because they haven't played them, the best team in Scotland. <laughs> so <laughs> they challenged them to this match and it quickly got, uh, you know, in the press as the Championship of the World match. Um, and they, they played a match um, in, near near to Blackpool and um, the Dick Curl ladies won five goals to one. And then they had a celebration dinner in the town uh, later in, in the year, in, in November, I think it was. Uh, and they were presented with gold medals. Um, and Joan Worley actually gave me her gold medal from that uh, that dinner uh, and the dinner menu card. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. There's some great pictures of that in in my book. Um, you know, a lot of information about it. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a great thing for them. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Dale. You know, just a quick question here. You know, you you as we look back through the history, you see a lot about players and particularly goal scorers. Um, and you talk about you know you know part you know being a defensive player to begin with and moving out and you know I have not seen one thing on goalkeepers and I was a goalkeeper so I'm and you know I'm pretty interested in in that um, can you can you talk about that a little bit or goalkeepers um, they didn't they didn't again you said they didn't really talk much about the goalkeepers but I know early in uh, uh, there was a, a lady called Annie Hasty she was a goalkeeper back in the day I think she actually went to live in America as well Mm -hmm. um, uh, she was a good goalkeeper you know they they had some really good keepers in the early years um but yeah like you said they were they were it was a very difficult position to fill as you'll know <laughs> um and uh, of course the football was a lot heavier back in those days as well and i don't know people don't really talk much about the goalkeepers there was june gregson who she'll be 86 i think this year she played in goal so, some of the time um but I think they used to swap them about and there wasn't any real, you know, permanent, permanent keeper um, back in those days. 
there's nobody that stands out to me other than in the early years, like I mentioned, Annie Hasty and there was a lady called Emily Bryce. She played throughout 1921 and somebody wrote a poem about them. Um, and it, again, that's in, that's in my new book and it mentions them all by name and, and Emily Grice is one of them and they couldn't, you know, um, she was not, not very often did anybody manage to score against her. Um, so, and throughout the history, I think they only had five hundred, less than 500 goals scored against them. So they obviously had good goal, goalkeepers and a good defence. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I want to say it was 1922 or 23. They had, <clears throat> it was like almost all of their games were shutouts. You know, usually there might be like one or two goals scored, but it'd be like seven to one. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they were, well, they were, they were more powerful than any other team, you know, and mm. after the ban, lots lots of teams folded and, uh, you know, locally, uh, like in Lancashire, like the St. Helens players, uh, Fleetwood ladies players, they, a lot of them came to play for the Dick Curl ladies, so they had the best, the best that there was available, you know, and even when at the height they were, they were putting, um, representative teams to play against them you know they played matches against the best of the rest of england and and they thrashed them and the best of the rest of the uh, united kingdom and they beat them so they seem pretty pretty invincible <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah um so to, to quickly just talk about uh the manager alfred franklin uh he managed them from what 1917 to 1955 57 he passed away yeah yeah, but I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, in 1955, uh, one of the one of his I don't know, secretaries or something took over uh, the management of the team. It wasn't. And, it wasn't until he passed away. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but but at, at least one account that I read, uh, she was the first female football manager ever, maybe. But maybe yeah, in in that capacity, you know, doing um, you know, what they did because after he passed away, um. They couldn't get any any information from from Franklin's family. They wouldn't give him any any records, and um, they they had to pinch a scrapbook uh, and and go through that. And everybody used to try and find charities to contact through any any old match programs that they had. So that's when Kath started. Kath Latham was the lady's name, and and she that I think she the first games they played after Franklin died were in nineteen fifty eight. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, what I find amazing is there, there's this ban that goes for 50 years where women aren't allowed to play, and the yeah. Dick Care ladies, um, I mean, as time goes on, there are fewer and fewer teams to play, it seems to me. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that they soldiered on uh, through the entire ban, I mean, they, yeah. they, they only played their last match in 1965, just before the end of the ban, and that is, it just takes such determination to do that. It's amazing. Exactly. That's what makes them unique, isn't it? You know, everybody else would have, like folded after the ban, and and they carried on. And he was always at the, you know, always at the helm. And every now and again, you know, the older players like Alice Kelly was the first captain. She she would be brought along, you know, to kick off a match or you know come along and support and and things like that. There's, you know, they, they were like like a family really, and you know they were fortunate as well that when they stopped working at the factory, that a lot of them went to be nurses at the you know, the hospital just outside of Preston and it was it was like a 
it's only in later years that I've realised myself just how safe they all were there. It, it was a, a small rural village, but the, the hospital grounds itself, it was like a, a town all of its own, a little or a village all of its own. It, it had everything. It had its own brewery, its own cinema, you know, its own railway. Um, it, it was an incredible thing. So, uh, you know, they were in a, in a really, really fortunate position um, to, you know, to to do all these things because because that would that would have been the nucleus of the team. Yeah, that, that that's great. I, I read one account. Oh, sorry, sorry, Ruth. Hang on one second. I, I read one account um, when uh, Alfred Franklin was still manager. Uh, they had got a new player, and he just basically said, "You now have a job at this hospital." Like, yeah. There was there was no interview. There was no nothing. It's like you're a dick care lady. You yeah. now have a job. Yeah, probably that was Nancy Thompson, I think. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's how it was, you know. Um, the, a lot of them did work there throughout the twenties and and beyond. Because John Morley, um, like after the Second World War, John worked at hospital at the hospital as well, and lots of the other ladies that I met, and they said they, they used to be out on a Sunday uh, or you know uh, in the village green playing on the playing on the green and just themselves having a kickabout, which I, I find fun, you know fa- fascinating to think of <laughs> all these women running around playing football. What parody there is here, though, if you think about like my struggle, you know, just going through even it, it, the sport not even being offered um, to me at a young age, mm-hmm. and um, that these it, it became a sorority once we began it, and these these ladies, the Dick Kerr ladies, had that sorority uh, long before, uh, long before, you know, like. In you in the United States, that women's soccer even began the struggle. Yeah, um, you know like it's. Think, sorry, after you. No, go ahead. I was going to say I like to think that because they travelled out there in 1922, that maybe it it created a spark or something, or gave some inspiration to somebody that maybe one day that they would be able to play football. Who knows? Mm. I, I think. Uh... At least the areas uh, where the Dick Care ladies uh, played in the United States, like I said, uh, Rhode Island, Connecticut, uh, Washington, D.C., New Jersey. Uh, Shortly after uh, they played here, there were definitely at least some women's matches in the States. Fantastic. Uh, (laughs) uh, There's a reference I found uh, from a St. Louis newspaper where a gentleman thought that there was an outstanding women's league in uh, Connecticut, I think it was. Um, So, yeah, it's right around the same time. I'm still trying to piece all those things together. But, you know, it it was definitely something that helped women's sports in the States, even though it didn't catch on for a while. Yeah. It's nice to know. I always thought, you know, because it's uh, it's such a great story. I mean, one of the players, Alice Mills, um, she was so taken with America that... um, a family have told me that when she arrived, she said, "This is my country," and she she wanted to you know go out to live, which she did. She she, she not been back home in Preston twelve months, where she emigrated on her own and went to work in the cotton mills in uh, in Portucket. Um, and met her husband, and they got married, and she had six six children, and um, never never came back to Preston to live. And it's and it's a wonderful story, and, I, and I'm friends with all of those people now as well. It's wonderful. I've been out. Uh, several times to see them and they've been over here to, to see me and um, it's given me such a lot because this lady Alice Mills was born in Preston and when as a kid going to school I'd pass by 
the, her house where she was born every day, little realising. Um, and, and Alice and I, we both christened at the same church as well in Preston. So I, I like to think that I've got this, this special connection, you know, and that part of Alice who went to America is still Because I love Americans, you know, all my heroes are American. <laughs> <laughs> Billie Jean King, you know, every, Diana Ross, <laughs> all my heroes are American. Um, so, yeah, so I, I like to think that, you know, I've got this little bit of America, you know, over here with me. Well, we certainly have... You know, I love, you know, from a soccer player's perspective of what the folks over there uh, in the UK did. Yeah. And, you know, that, that to me, I am so grateful. And learning all this, I feel just, you know, just an, a, a, so much gratitude um, for, for those ladies, the Dick Kerr ladies and all those other women who just even may have sparked a little bit, even though it took 50 years in the yeah. U.S., uh, to come around to that, and it's still not. I mean, that's just when Title IX happened, you know. And uh, for me, I was a direct recipient of that. You know, I got to play for free in college, and um, which which helped my career along. Mm. Uh, you know, I just feel so much gratitude. Yeah. And, yeah, well, we're a football family, aren't we? I think. I think we you know we we've had a struggle. You know, women wanting to play football, we've had a struggle. And I, and I just think that we are, we, it's football family um, and it, we're all, we're all the same, you know, get us together and, and, and we're all the same and it's great. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And whenever there's a Dick Curl ladies function, you know, I organise dinners and things from time to time. You, if, if you could bottle and sell the atmosphere in the, and the love in the room, it would, you know, you just wouldn't believe it. It's amazing. We're organising a, a centenary dinner next year to commemorate the Goodison match, um, and I've already got over 220 names of people wanting to come. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the rules on that list. Sorry? What's that, Ruth? I said put us on that list. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. You'd have to be quick if you want me to get your name on, though. I'll tell you, honestly, everybody I mention it to, they all want to come. Um, and it's just, it's incredible. I'm, I'm, it's also going to be like a first of its kind women's football grand reunion, and we've got players from you know the early 70s like Sheila Parker who was the first captain for England back in 1972 who actually started her career with the Dick Curl ladies in 1961 uh, we, and, we've, and we've just got so many people coming it's just going to be an absolutely amazing night I can't wait if God spurs us you know we'll, we'll have a great night it'll be another night full of love it's just amazing uh, it really really is lots right. of money to raise between now and then though yeah. <laughs> well I, uh, I have uh, an impossible question for you. Uh-huh. Uh, if, well, if you could take all your knowledge of the Dick Care ladies, mm. uh, what what would be the most important lesson or most important thing you'd want to tell the world about the Dick Care ladies? Well, I'd just say, really, never give up on your dreams because they never gave up. And that's, as we said earlier, what makes them unique, so... You know, it's it's a huge, huge story. It's a human interest story. It's not just football. It's it's against the odds. It's you know everybody's against you, but you carry on that fighting spirit, and that's basically a, a lesson in life. Just never give up on your dreams, because you know, look how we these women we're, we're still talking about them now over a hundred years later. So you couldn't ask for more than that. Even yeah. if it's uncomfortable, you know, I mean that's the thing. It was uncomfortable for those women. Mm. A lot of the time, I felt sometimes even when I was playing, you know, and I'm playing in the 80s, 
how uncomfortable it is for it to be more popular than say your you know your your contemporary men on the other side mm. who we might be doing better um, or whatever. Um, it's sort of like today when the U.S. women uh, win the World Cup, and there's still this whole thing about equal pay and about yeah. you know, it, it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. And an uncomfortable feeling, and those Dick Kerr ladies, you know, at the time, particularly, it must have been incredibly. Un I just think it was just an uncomfortable thing, and they pushed through it. Um, and you know, it was ten times as worse than in my generation. Or, you know, a hundred times worse. Yeah, but you know, you know, the camaraderie of these women when when we when we first got them together, and and you know, over the years following that, we we, we did lots of stuff. Um, the, it, it was it was wonderful to see that that team spirit, and I think everybody, if 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 you've never been part of a team, you don't know what it's like. But being part of a team, it's a wonderful thing, where you've got it's not just you. You're playing for each other, and and your mates, and you you socialise together, and the whole thing of of being part of a team is 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 really special. And I think a lot of the ladies after when it finished, they missed that. And bringing them back together, it was a joy to see um, how much they enjoyed each other's company, being back together, and and the, the attention that they got from the media as well. You know, some of them would have died alone and forgotten, but you know, we were able to to give them something so that when when you know, I mean, I've been to the funerals and all of that carry on, and the churches have been full, and we've sang the club song at the at the graveside, and you know, it, it's been a it's been a full full journey, and so. I'm I'm grateful for for all of that and 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 the part that I played in it, you know, saving the history and and bringing them all back together again. Wait, there, there's a club song. Yeah, um, they had a song which they used to sing, in well, the it, back in the early days they had a different one, but you know, latterly they used to sing a, a club song and and I remember when when Joan Burke passed away, it teaches everybody called it. They asked me to. Um, to read the eulogy in church and I asked the the priest if we could sing the club song <coughs> excuse me and, and the priest thought it was a great idea and said yeah yeah of course you can and then when we went to the cemetery afterwards um he asked us to sing it again at the um at the uh, the graveside so we've done that at her at G Titch's funeral and and Jean Lane Jean, Jean passed away um as well so we, we sang it at Jean's funeral too so it's been a wonderful thing to be able to do that for somebody. It's the last thing you can do for them when they've, you know, given so much to to the game against the odds, and you know, give them a good send off. So yeah, so I, 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 I'm not going to ask you to sing the song for us, but I'm glad you're not. <laughs> but do, do you have a recording of it? Um, I do, but it's I um, it's on an audio tape from back in the day. I recorded all my interviews with the ladies. Um, and they're on audio tape, and and um, they need putting onto CD, you know, to because mm -hmm. one time I was helping a, a television program, and they wanted to listen to it, and and the, the, the that old the tapes, it you know they it, they got et up and 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 destroyed. So you know I don't know how much of it has been. I did send it away to get repaired, but I don't know how much. So so I, the short answer is I have got it on tape somewhere. Uh, but it's on it's on audio tape, so there's not a lot that I can do with it, <laughs> you know, to share with anybody. Yeah. Uh, well, I I would be 
love to hear the, the theme song, and uh, I would even make it my theme music on the podcast if, if you could figure <laughs> out a way to, to uh, get it to me. Uh, well, I'll, um, I haven't got a clue, to be honest with you, at this moment in time, whereabouts it is, because um, I've got so many different tape recordings. Um, I don't know, you know, where it is. Um, and and I, I think at, at this stage, because my book's under option to be made into a film, it, it might be remiss of me to share it with anybody else when um, they might want exclusivity of it. <laughs> oh, well, it, it's entirely up to you, but at, yeah. at least I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's only a, le- a little a little ditty, you know. Um, but no, I'm I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> no, 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 that that's fine. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, I'm thinking it, it it might just be a little ditty, but it's a Dick Cares little ditty. Well, exactly, and, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a jewel, really. Um, and yeah. I, when Alice, when I when I interviewed Alice Norris, who played before the band, she was 89 by this time, and she sang their song to me. Uh, and I don't know if if that's what's been destroyed in this when I tried to help this television program because I had to send it away to be repaired, and it upset me so much. I haven't I haven't you know I've had the heart to to listen to it again to see see what's what's been destroyed. Um, so I don't know if that's gone. I don't know if it's there or not. Well, I, I hope it is there. <laughs> so do I. So do I. Hey, can I ask you a quick question um, about okay. the Dick Kerr ladies? Um, the the by the time some of these uh, teams started forming, there were probably women before that who loved the game who just aged out before they could reach their prime. Do you know anything about that? Um, Not really, uh, Ruth. No, I'm a, my my main area of expertise is the Dick Kerr ladies and. I mean, you look at Lily Parr, she, she carried on playing until she was 46. But and a lot of the other ladies who played, if they got married, they had to stop playing. Well, they stopped playing because they had to look after the man. <laughs> you know, they're not capable of looking after themselves. Um, so I don't I don't really know. But I don't think, as for the Dick Curley, I don't think age was a barrier. Um, if, if, you could, if you could kick a ball, um, you could play. You know, I think there wasn't a great number of people you know wanting to play and the ones that they had you know who, who were any any good at all they would hang on to them as long as they could you know like joan wally she played for over 20 years as did titch um you know so they, they played it was their life really you know it's, it's that social thing again and being part of a team and so I, that that's as much as i know really i don't know about anybody else you know my main focus has, all, has always been the dick curl ladies because you know, because of the reunion and, and the journey that we all went on together, and, and they, they really did become my extended family. Wow. Yeah, it's been emotional. <laughs> well, yeah. well, thank you so much for all the work that you've done and, and for the book, and, and I was not aware that it's going to become a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was only talking to the producers today. They've got a new writer. Uh, so um, yeah, it's it's all it's all looking good. Great. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> any, any idea when the movie might come out? Um, no, I think that they want to be cracking on with it. This they've had the option for for a couple of years now, um, and to move on, they want they've just got a new a new scriptwriter on board, as I say, and um, you know there's some significant anniversaries coming up. You know, with the the anniversary of the ban in nineteen twenty in twenty twenty one. I think you know they're mindful of these 
these times and, and when's going to be the you know the best time to do it but then of course it's all down to money I mean it's all about funding I, I mean years ago I, I was flown out to California to work on a script um you know with the about the Dick Curl ladies with this with the company and and then and they went bust but whilst I was there I met um the guy that wrote the screenplay for Robin Hood Prince of Thieves can't remember his name but he, he was saying to me what what a wonderful story that it was you know he said you've got something really special here and I said well you know I know <laughs> it's everybody else uh, but and then as I say it comes down to money because that that's a firm you know that they, they they went folded that they, they went you know bust and um and, and so that that went by the by as well so it's all about whoever's gonna fund it but I think now that women's football is, be, is becoming more you know media friendly if we want for want of a better word you know we've had the world cup in france this summer and there's lots going on now and it's televised more people mm. are realizing that it is it is a a good a good thing and so hopefully that you know people will want to invest in it yeah i, I hope so and i, I hope uh, stories like the dicker ladies help the current cause along as well yeah, that's it, and that's because I want it to change opinions. Like I say, a lot of people don't realise um, why they think women shouldn't be playing football, um, and it's all—it's all, as I say, it's been a—it's been spoon-fed to us for, for generations that it, it's not a game for women and they shouldn't be playing and it's dangerous and and all this stuff. Where where really it's just not true at all. Yeah. And, and 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 only when when you go and tell them this story, do they? I mean, I get, I get men coming coming up to me afterwards with tears in their eyes you know they didn't realize they said i didn't realize me i've changed my opinion and so if i can just do that one talk and change one person's opinion every time you know it's, it's a pebble in a pond hopefully you know we, we will get there eventually but i think it, we need a couple more generations well i, I hope we don't have to wait that long I hope me too don't, i don't i hope so but being realistic get, we're just getting kids in school playing together now and I think they need to grow up with that, you know, that it's just normal for boys and girls to play football. And mm. then once we've done that for a couple of generations, I, I don't think we'll be having these kind of conversations. It'll it'll just be normal and, and people will be more aghast of, of what went before, <laughs> you know, thinking how, how unfair it was. Yeah. Well, uh, Ruth, any last thoughts or questions? No, you know what, Gail, thank you so much for taking the time and you know, I'm just, I'm grateful that you've uh written this history down and that you are a pebble in a pond because I, I certainly agree with that. I feel like my platform is exactly that too. Yeah. Just to give give back to the game. Mm. Yeah, uh, well, you, that's what I said, we're family. You know, you all of us, you you know, you, me, we're all we're all part of the same family. There's no doubt, and that sorority is strong. Mm, definitely, definitely. It's been lovely to talk to you, Ruth. It really has. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for taking that time. No, oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. All right, well, Gail. Thank you so much for uh, for chatting with us and sharing the story. Um, and hopefully, we can be in touch in the future. Let's hope so. Yeah, you know where I am. Yep. Well, Gail, again, thank you so much for uh, your work and for, for joining us, for talking to us. And uh, oh. I'll, I'll get a link to your book and uh, your website uh, in my show notes so everybody thank can have, have that. And uh, everybody who's listening, please check out the Dick Care Ladies. Uh, lovely. Thanks very much. It's been lovely to talk to you both.
Have a nice day. <laughs>